Welcome to episode 27 of Your Town Crime. This week we travel to Robinson, Illinois. I talk about a candy bar and Shannon talks about a college student who was killed by a jealous boyfriend. Uh, This week's a little different. It was on a Zoom call. Uh, We'll talk more about that during the episode. Please visit podbean.com and podbelly.com if you'd like to learn how to start a podcast. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, how's it going? We're uh, doing things a little different this week, but I've got Shannon on Zoom. What's up, Shannon? Yay! What's up, yeah. Jason? I know, it's a little, a little different. different. Yeah. So, uh, we're, it's the first time we've done this, so bear with us. The uh, connection and the audio is not going to be as, as good as before. Like right now, she just uh, she just paused for a second, but hopefully she can hear me. She's smiling like she can. I can hear you. All yeah, right, I good can deal. Hear you. All right, so just bear with us uh, this episode. So we're on Zoom because because I have COVID. <laughs> yeah. So, but she's. I don't want to pass it along. So right. we're uh, quarantining, doing our part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think we're all good here, but we just don't want to. I mean, just no reason for her to get out, and no reason for us to go. You know, we're just not going to, I'm going to do it. So it was a good first week of school, huh? I know. I'm so sad. I know. Oh. Yeah. But uh, it is what it is. So are you feeling okay? Feeling good? I mean, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe not, maybe <laughs> not I'm good, but you feel okay. Yeah. Better than some. So, I mean, it's, it's good. I'll be okay. Yeah. You got a smile I'm on your face. To get Yes, we are. We're good. All right. You don't look sick, so that's good. We're on Zoom. Well, that's because we can't see. Yeah, <laughs> uh, these baggage right here. Ah, I can't. Yeah, that's <laughs> fine. And family's doing okay. Everybody else. Yeah, they seem to be doing okay. Hopefully, hopefully it doesn't get too crazy. Right. Um, and I think I'm on the man. I mean, it can only get better. So. All good. What episode? We're on like 27? I, I didn't even look beforehand. Um, yeah, we're we're in we're into it. And I want to thank you all. Thank you guys so much for uh, this month. August has been our best month ever. Like uh, we're already we're yeah we're already passing passing the other months. You know, we, uh, July was our best so. Excuse me. July was our best overall, uh, but August is going to pass it up. If I mean, we only had one episode. We missed a week, and we're 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 gaining on it pretty quick here. So, so yeah, it's a uh, it's pretty good. So thank y'all for listening. Y'all are telling your friends, and and we appreciate that. So uh, yeah, we got twenty seven episodes. So this one's twenty eight. Yes. Oh, okay. All right. I'm. I don't know. We've had so many. I've just lost count. <laughs> I know. It goes by so fast. I can't believe it. 
So you guys have been very patient with us and we do appreciate it. Um, so I guess we're and just going to. Thank gonna... you for being so nice and not negative towards us. We yeah. really appreciate it because it's nice to feel supported and not have any bad feelings. Excuse like we're not me. doing what we're supposed to do or yeah. we're not going to do the job as we feel like we are. Right. This is episode 27. What did I say okay. a second ago? You said 28. I said 27. So finally. Okay, I'm you're honest. right. You're right. Yeah, I didn't stump you. You got it right. Yeah. So sorry. Episode 27. Yeah, this one's not going to be perfect. We're just going to get right into it. That way we can get this over with and uh, and get this out to you. And hopefully we can get it edited enough to, uh, to, uh, to y'all enjoy it. Hopefully yeah, we can hopefully. get it. Yeah. yeah, hopefully you don't hear coughing or sniffling or babies because I can't <laughs> guarantee you that Mason's not going to come uh, barreling through that door. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, babies are still awake and uh, so <laughs> a little bit earlier. So we're just going to get it over with. We're just going to get through it and uh, you all bear with us and we'll get get to it. And then hopefully next week you'll be feeling fine and, and we'll, uh, we'll get back to recording normal. All right. So Yay, um, that sounds good. Yeah, so how did you, uh, did you, how'd you do this week? Did you find a lot of information on Rob, Robinson, um, Illinois? Robinson, Illinois, yes. Um, I did find something, like the first thing I found, I was like, that's what I want to look at. That's what I want to talk about. So I didn't even look anywhere else. I just found this one to be very interesting. Good, And yeah. I sent it to you, so you kind of you have an idea. I don't think I looked at it. If you read it, it. Uh, did you read it? I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember. It's been one. It's been a week. <laughs> I was out of town most of the week. It feels like long. Yeah. Well, it's been two weeks since we recorded, and then yeah, I don't know. It got kind of. It was a busy week. I was out of town, and when I got back in town, it was just crazy again. So, but uh, it took me a second. There wasn't a lot of history um, on Robbins, Robinson. Illinois. I put an S on the end. Is there an S on the, Il the end of Illinois? I did it and you didn't a minute not ago. Not when you say it. Okay, so it's just Illinois. Yeah, okay. you're not. I don't think you say it. It's just okay. Illinois. Sorry. Sorry to all you uh, Illini. Weird to say. Yeah, in Robinson, Illinois. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Robinson, Illinois. I, 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 it took me a second. Uh, most of the information I'm getting... Uh, for the history as far as is before 1883 because that's when the book was written from the information that I found it was written in 1883 uh, so it was that that was it there was a, wasn't anything on Wikipedia I had to kind of dive a little bit deeper on this episode so there's a lot of interesting people from there and I'm gonna talk about them but uh, it is a nice nice place um, so I'll just get right into it and we'll we'll just go so all right, I'm going to start with uh, Robinson, Illinois, without the S, is in Crawford County, Illinois. The population is around 7,500. And uh, the first families started out, uh, they came to this area around 1817. Uh, there was a fort not far from, from Robinson that a lot of people uh, stayed at, and uh, things kind of died down, and uh, they were able to to start moving into this area in 1817 it was the newlands the youngs the barbies the mars the Wright, and the page families uh, the among others there was more than that but those were kind of the first 
uh, families of Robinson. Okay. Well, yeah, when they got there, this is the Great Plains. There wasn't many trees in the area, uh, so lumber wasn't a big thing. But they, uh, you know, there was there was fields there, and um, it was hard to travel across when it was muddy. It would just get. But they kind of finally started figuring things out. I mean, this was new land. It was different than anywhere in the world. There wasn't any infrastructure. There wasn't roads. You know, there were some trails and stuff like that uh, that the Native Americans used. But other than that. Uh, there wasn't a lot. Um, there weren't any trees, but I don't know if there had been trees there at one point and there had been big fires or somewhere over time, but they said there was roots in the ground. And when they first started plowing, that it was hard to, uh, it was hard to plow at first. Like it was just because there was roots in the ground that were different. So they had to kind of uh, make special blades for their, for their plows and do that kind of thing. So, um, they made some of the plows they used were made in made in the area. Like I said, they had to make them custom. And Newland, that who lived there, who just moved in, he was a blacksmith and had set up a blacksmith shop. So he sharpened blades and uh, and made some of the uh, made some of those uh, plows. Uh, they did find it was good ground for corn, so they started planting corn. There wasn't any corn in the area, so they made enough for the families and to feed livestock. So, uh, you know, and they're doing this all by hand, like with, with one plow. I mean, they walk behind plow or they're walking behind a mule or ox or something. So it's not like they were planting row after row of corn. Like you go out, you go out to Illinois now, uh, Kansas out West and Midwest, and you see all that corn, it just goes Iowa, it just goes forever and ever. Uh, they were starting small back then. Uh, and they said there was deer everywhere. And I'm reading this thing out of a book that was written in 1883. So it's kind of poetic how they wrote and it's kind of neat. But they talking about talking about deer everywhere, and a lot of the hunters weren't born hunters, so they weren't any good at hunting deer. Like they might be able to hunt rabbit and squirrels and stuff like that, but like rat deer were a new thing. And they, were, they got there and they were plentiful. They said there was like fifty to seventy five in a herd. Uh, oh my goodness! Yeah, so there were just deer everywhere, and uh, one hunter said that he missed a hundred deer before he shot one. <laughs> yeah yeah well, they didn't know how That's to a little hard i know to, it. if you had it 50 to 100 deer and you miss yeah i, I think it, it was just like it would be hard i think he was just talking about how hard it was uh so he uh surely it wasn't that bad he might have been exaggerating a little bit but uh you know there's new things out there these guys have moved from you know some of them from europe that moved over and some of them from the east coast that moved in moved in uh, they said one one hunter said that uh, he wounded a deer and the wolves. He was tracking the deer, and the wolves came in and started tracking him and the deer. And they got so close to him, he jumped up in a tree. And then the wolves kept going. They're like, "Well, you're you're in that tree. This deer's got blood. I can we can I smell care. it. Yeah, he's dying. So they're going after the deer." Um, this other guy. This yeah. is all stories in this this book I was reading. Um, he didn't uh, wait. He shot a deer. He didn't wait for it to die. Like usually when you shoot a deer, you just don't go right after it because they can still be alive. So he uh, he didn't wait or reload his gun. He just walked up to it, and the thing jumped up and started fighting him, and he had an ax and had to kill it with an ax. So, you know, it was kind of hard times for these new settlers and these new frontiersmen. You know, they, were, uh, they weren't very good at it at first, but uh, not all of them were. 
so they uh, they had some hard times here. Uh, but finally, they learned how to to deer hunt. They would sit and wait. They would they would bait them, uh, and then they uh, later they would use dogs. So you can't use dogs. You can still use dogs in some states to hunt deer, but you can't in Tennessee now. But you can think, use dogs to lie. I, I don't know if it's just the amount of land. Uh, I don't know what it is, but I think Georgia you can and Florida you can. I'm not sure about anywhere else. Those are the only two I've heard about people doing it. Okay. But now, you can't use dogs. You can, I know you can use dogs to hunt bear here. You can. Yeah, you can still use dogs to hunt bear and coons, uh, raccoons, and uh, mm, I so, think that's it. Uh, squirrels. I've got do a buddy with the squirrel kill dog. kill the animal? Like, do the dogs just no. surround it and they try to kill it, or they just, like, subdue it? They run it. They run it. They, uh, I guess the deer dogs just kind of run it. Uh, they'll kind of try to hurt it and bring it back to uh, back in front of the hunter. I've never done deer hunting with a dog. Bear hunting, they'll, they'll, bay, the do- they'll bay the bear. They'll get, they'll get the bear and run him up a tree, pretty much, or they'll fight the he'll start fighting and then the hunters come in behind him and get the bear so the dogs will some of them some of them are meant to track the deer or the bear and others are meant to fight the bear and keep it bayed to keep it pinned up so it won't run off anymore so they'll chase the bear that's crazy i wonder what straw you had to pick to be that dog yeah well they all i mean that's what they're bred for so that well, they love it. They love it. That's what they live for. So, you know, I know it's not very, you might not think it's humane, but those dogs, that's what they were bred to do and born to do. So they, uh, they know what they're getting into. I mean, they chased the bear, you know, they just opened the door out the, you know, the, out the, open their truck door and our truck door, their pen doors or whatever. And the dogs do this voluntarily. I mean, if the dog doesn't chase a bear, doesn't want to, it's, it doesn't have to. They just will get rid of it. You know, they'll give it to somebody else or whatever they do with them. Yeah. Uh, but, so this I mean, this definitely a tangent. But I have a I had a girl I worked with, and her husband did that stuff. And I saw a video of that he took of his dogs getting a bear to climb a tree, and it yeah. was kind of sad. Look, I was yeah. kind of sad for that bear. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, but uh, you know, the people, the hunters I know, eat the bear meat, and. Uh, so they're they're getting meat out of it, and uh, so it is what it is. People do it, and uh, I know people that do, that do it. I've been. I've never shot a bear, never killed a bear, but I've. It was more like NASCAR in the mountains. Like you get on a bear and like drive around to the other side of the mountain, and then get out and run and up and down the mountains, and uh, never got any, never saw any. But the dogs were running. You know, it was would just follow the dogs kind of deal. But anyway. Anyway. Sidetrack, yeah. So, uh, so, but yeah, they said that there were bear out there, but not a lot. They see them every once in a while. So it's just a new, a new place for a lot of the frontiersmen, a lot of the families. It was just new to them. Uh, a lot of people moved from North Carolina, Tennessee. Okay, so getting back into where they're setting up the town of Robinson, still not a town yet. Uh, the Page family started making. Uh, so they made this hand mill. And they used, they made a round stone. I don't know how big this thing was. It's just how they described it, uh, that it was a, there was a round stone uh, that sat on top of a, uh, a peg that was in a, a flatter stone or a, 
a bowl shaped stone. I don't know exactly what it looked like, but it's something like that. They would turn the, uh, the top stone, the round stone around and the, the grain would go, the corn would go in between and, and crack and break up. And that was their first meal. And pretty much they used that. They just shared it. Um, all the families did to make their meal, to make their flour, all that kind of stuff. And then, um, uh, Barbie, the Barbie family, uh, they ended up making a horse meal. Um, and the meals they make, they use meals for everything. Yeah, they, horse, a horse, a horse, H O R S E. Yeah. A horse okay. meal. Sure. Um, <laughs> you know, a lot of meals back in that time, you see like old meals that were by the river and they use the water wheels to power it. Well, this, they didn't, they didn't have those built yet. So they needed meals so they could make food. So they used, uh, hand mills like I was talking about a minute ago and then they used uh, they made a horse mill which was bigger and then the horse, horse does the work and not the people so the Barbie family did that and it was uh it was larger and it was horsepower I don't know how many horsepower it had one or two or four <laughs> or what but it was run by a horse or a few horses uh, and later they opened a sawmill with the Jolly family uh, and then at the sawmill or at the mill one of the Barbies had a uh, distillery there for a time. So, uh, you know, they got to eat and they got to drink too, I guess. So, uh, so they had them a little whiskey there. Uh, so they also found out that bees were plenty in the area. They would, uh, so beeswax and honey became a business there. Uh, and it also became a, you know, something that they could, you know, uh, a treat for them having honey and having sugar. Uh, so, they said that some of the trees had 15, 15 to 20 gallons of honey in them. So that have you ever seen how they find uh, like bee uh, beehives before out in the wild? No. Like how the old timers would do it. They would like find a bee. They would lure them somehow. They would lure, lure them or find them. And then they would like pour a little flower on them. That way they could see them better and it would kind of slow them down. And they would go back to the hive and they would be able to see them fly and kind of like keep up with them and see them better then go back to the go back Time to the out. hive could you just imagine the video that you could get of your spouse like throwing flour on a baby <laughs> and trying a to find yeah. it <laughs> yeah well i mean you find one that's you know that's this lit on some clover or something and and you know and follow <laughs> it back i saw it uh once on the the heartland series which is uh a uh if you don't know what the heartland series is you can probably google it uh uh, WBIR out of Knoxville uh, had a program on there for 30 years, probably, where they talked about the heritage of, of East Tennessee and Appalachia. So um, if you, you want to look into that, my son loves it. They came to our hometown and uh, did some on a, uh, on turtle, on turtle, uh -huh. turtle hunting. Yeah. Did you ever see that one? And then yes, they were gra grappling for, uh, grappling for, uh, 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 for catfish. And then uh, another family uh, made chitlins. And yes. uh, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I love that video. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because I, you know, I know every, I know everybody in these videos and it's neat. Mm -hmm. So and my son loves them. He wanted to watch it. He watched it every day with my dad uh, at lunchtime. And we were in the, this is a side note, chasing rabbits, I know. But we were in the barbershop one day and one of the guys that was on there uh, was getting his hair cut. Yeah. And I told my son, I was like, Hey, he's on the, he was on the Heartland series and his eyes got big and I was, he was like, he, you know, met a, <laughs> a movie star or something. Oh, but anyway, it was a really good I show. Wish they would do that again. Yeah, I know. I, I mean, wish that, they would do that again. 
you can still they still got reruns you know that show every day and they're only like 10 15 minutes long but they were great they were great and they showed real people in east tennessee and kind of the traditions so that we, we we carried down over the years so uh so anyway getting back to it that's how i i had seen that before on the heartland series about how they they found hives and putting the flower on them and stuff so that was neat to read it um so 1843, 1843 was when Robinson became a town. Crawford County was a, had been a huge county land-wise, like half the state uh, when it was a territory. And then when the state started forming, they started making the county and cutting the size, cutting the size, cutting the size. Anyway, when the when they finally got to its final size, I guess they thought we need a new, we need a central place for government. So they said, well, this is the central area in our county so we need to put a put a town here and put our courthouse here so that's what they did there was four uh 40 acres donated by four four landowners that kind of went to the to the center of their you know where their four sections met and um, they all gave 10 acres there and uh, lots and streets were laid out and uh the lots were uh 65 feet in the front and back and then 130 foot long so pretty good size lots um the east and west west streets they named after trees and then north and south uh, streets they named after people so you can go on google right now and look at that and you can still see those uh, still still see those tr streets and uh and you know in this book it listed some of them it looks like they've changed a few names right around the courthouse uh, they've changed some of those street names and there was one that was called like Cheapside, and i was like Surely they don't have a cheap side road anymore or cheap side street. And they don't, I, I couldn't find it in the town. So, uh, somewhere along the way they changed that. Cause I'm sure nobody wanted to live on cheap side. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, 1853, that was 1843, 1853, they, uh, built their first brick building. So 1875, the railroad came in and it made the town larger and they, um, Building more streets, uh, putting more lots in and that kind of thing. 1881, they got the first fire department. They got a hook and ladder apparatus and they uh, added rubber pails to it. Um, and then they built a building, a fire department for $500. And this book was written in 1883 and they're like, we've got all this stuff, but we don't know if it works because we hadn't had to use it yet. So that was good. You know, they had two years without a fire. Uh, I'm sure they've had a fire or two since 1883. But... <laughs> But anyway, but that was kind of neat, uh, talking about all this stuff. Uh, so now I'm going to move in. It's about all I have on the history. Um, there was a lot of information on that, and I'll link that in our show notes. This is one of the coolest things I found. And one of the first things you read when you when you find out about Robinson, the Heath Bar. Do you know what a Heath Bar is, the candy bar? You ever had one? Yes. You do, yeah. Yeah, I figured you did. I wasn't trying to stump you there. <laughs> It was, uh, it's still made in Robinson. That's where it was invented and that's where it's still made. So that's cool. Yeah. All right. So in 1913, L.S. Heath, he was a school teacher and he bought a confectionery shop in Robinson for his oldest son. So he's like, they need a job. They need something to do. Uh, this would be a good investment for me. Uh, so he bought the confectionery, confectionery shop. And then in 1914, they opened up a candy store, an ice cream shop, and a manufacturing operation for, for candies and ice cream. So OLS, he got interested in ice cream, and he opened up a small dairy factory in 1915. 
So I guess he stopped teaching and started doing ice cream all the time and uh, other dairy thing, dairy products. So sometime uh, they got a toffee recipe said from a traveling salesman and it was from a Greek confectioner in another part of the state. So somebody came in and said, Hey, I've got this toffee recipe. Maybe I'd like it. They did. And uh, so they began in 1928. Uh, they began to market the Heath English toffee, America's finest. Uh, so that was 1928 that they started to market it and sell it. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Robinson sent us some uh, Heath bars. Yeah. The original. The original. Yeah, the original place, 1928. 1931, they uh, start. They sold their confectionery and moved their candy making equipment to the dairy. Uh, they started gluing their Heath bars on the older forms, so you could get them delivered uh, with your milk and your cottage cheese and your, all that kind of stuff. Heath bars, they it became popular during the Depression. Uh, not a lot of stuff was selling, but these things were only they only there was only an ounce of candy, and they sold for like five cents or something like that. So it was, you know. It didn't cost too much, but people were buying them. Uh, they were made by hand until 1942. And then the U.S. Army, uh, you know, 1942, the war was going on. The U.S. Army put in an order because the uh, they had a long shelf life, and they could put it in soldiers' rations and send it overseas. And they was, they could have a little piece of candy when they when they ate. You know, they're going through a lot. I guess they're trying to give them something. Um, and a lot of candy was given away in the war. Uh, to get to kids, you know, in Europe and stuff. So anyway, uh, so because of this, the popularity grew after the war. And in the 50s, uh, the Heath Toffee ice cream bar was developed. So they had another treat. Then in 1989, the family sold to the Leaf Incorporated. Um, so yeah, Leaf is the, the, the baseball card company, and they also, also made uh, gum and other things and had other candies and uh, – then Leaf, that was 1989 when Leaf bought it. In 1996, Hershey bought bought it from Leaf, and they changed the size uh, in 1996 from one ounce to 1.4 ounces uh, to help match the size of the competition. And Hershey still has the factory in Robinson. You can go on Google and find it. Um, you can find Heath and products like uh, Klondike bars. Uh, Baskin Robbins has ice creams there. Uh, with with toffee in it, with uh, the Heath Bar in it, Dairy Queen. Ben and Jerry's had a Heath Bar Crunch until 2014, and they stopped using Heath and went to another toffee. And uh, so anyway, Ben and Jerry's doesn't have Heath in it anymore. It's got something else. All right, so there's this other guy. I'm talking a lot today. I'm sorry. I'm trying to get okay. go a little faster. Ja James Jones, he was a novelist. He was born in 1921 in Robinson. Uh, he went in the Army in 1939. And he was in Hawaii uh, during the attack on Pearl Harbor. So he witnessed the attack on Pearl Harbor. Then he went to Guadalcanal. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he went to Guadalcanal. Um, and he was uh, in the Battle of Mount Austin, uh, the, the Galloping Horse and the Seahorse. Those are all, uh, all battles there uh, between December, 40, December 1942 and January 43. That's Guadalcanal is in the Solomon Islands, if you want to know for history people. You probably already knew that. But uh, he got wounded in the ankle and came back to uh, Memphis, Tennessee, to recover uh, at a hospital there. And he was discharged in 1944. 
So his wartime experiences inspired him uh, to write books. So he started writing books. And you've, you've heard of some of these books, guarantee it. Uh, From Here to Eternity. Okay. You heard of that? Um, there's a yeah, trilogy. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, the, he wrote a trilogy, uh, From Here to Eternity trilogy. Um, and that's about Pearl Harbor, the attack on Pearl Harbor. He wrote it in 1951, and they made a movie of it in 53. And it's got Burt Lancaster, Montgomery Clift, uh, Deborah Kerr, and Donna Reed. I mean, those are all movie stars we've heard of. I haven't heard of Deborah Kerr, but other ones I have. But I've seen the movie, so I've seen her. Um, the Thin Red Line, remember that? Came out in 98, the movie did. He wrote it in 1962, and the movie came out in 98. It had Jim Caviezel and Sean Penn and Nick Nolte. And it's uh, from his time on Guadalcanal. Uh, then he wrote a book uh, called Whistle. Uh, and that was from his time in the Memphis recovery, uh, the hospital recovering there. And uh, he didn't finish that book, uh, but he left enough notes for Willie Morris uh, to finish it after his death uh, when he died in 1977. And uh, it was published in 1978. So, uh, so it did get finished. Uh, something else he did he start, he helped start a um the handy riders colony in marshall illinois with his lover and her husband so i thought i was like whoa this dude's <laughs> this dude's a little wild he and evidently I, I don't know if the the husband knew about it knew that they were lovers or not but it's all pretty weird anyway it was a like a rotters colony and it was like a commune type deal and it was like a utopia type thing you know like this is early hippie stuff i guess a little bit uh it's what it sounded like um so yeah. it, but anyway the the col he he was pretty much funding it um it's pretty much all his money that was funding it you know the, it was everybody putting their money in together but he had the most so he left after he got in a fight with uh his lover and uh it folded it yeah or the husband i don't it said her but anyway uh he left and he got married and moved to paris um he had two children and one of them wrote, wrote a book she was a writer also she wrote a book called a soldier's daughter never cries and it chronicles their their life in paris and in 1998 i haven't seen this movie uh but i feel like i should um the movie came out in 1998 and it starred Chris Christopherson, uh, Barbara Hershey, and uh, Lily Sabisky. How do you say that? Lily Sabisky. How do you say that? I should be able to say that better. I don't L know what you're trying to say. Lily Sabisky. Well, I guess you're saying it right. No. I know who she is. I can see her face. I know who the actress is. But anyway. I'd have to look Lily Sabisky. I think I'm saying it wrong, but I, I should... It should come out of my mouth better than that because I've heard her name. All right, so uh, some other novels he wrote were Some Came Running. Uh, that was He wrote that in 57. It was a movie in 58. Sinatra, uh, Dean Martin, Shirley MacLaine, and uh, Martha Hire were in that. Uh, the Pistol, Go to the Widowmaker, The Merry Month of May, A Touch of Danger, and then he wrote two nonfiction books, Viet, uh, Viet Journal and World War II. So dude was busy. And war definitely uh, shaped his life. Um, all right, I'm going to talk about some other famous people in uh, Robinson. Uh, Robert uh, Wiseman, he was a war tech researcher and he innovated uh, night vision. Uh, Robert Brubaker was an actor 
and a lot of movies. And I looked to see if he was in any of the movies that uh, that Jones had wrote, that James Jones had written, uh, and he wasn't. So I thought that was kind of weird. I thought surely those you know those two guys they would have known each other. I looked at their their birthdays and when they so you know they should have known each other, but they weren't in. Brubaker wasn't in any of the movies, uh, but he was in Gunsmoke. Uh, he he actually he was the only per- actor who played two different reoccurring roles on that show. He was a stagecoach driver and a bartender. So he played. He was on there. You know, a lot of times back then they would have an actor that would play, uh, you know, a, a, somebody in a bar in one episode, and then the next one he might be uh, he might be a deputy from a neighboring town or something. Like they would just play different characters. Uh, but he was a reoccurring role role in two different as two different uh, people. So that was weird. He was also on, dra- yeah, he was also in Dragnet, uh, Seconds, which was a Rock Hudson movie. Uh, Apache Rifles had Audie Murphy. Uh, he's the most decorated combat soldier in World War II and a Medal of Honor recipient. Uh, and he became an actor after the war. He was also in Days of Our Lives for like one year. Yeah, uh, that back in the 60s, I believe. I think that's what my grandmother watched after school. Uh, when I'm I had sure. or when I was sick, or you know, when I was before I started school, you know, afternoon I'd lay down, <laughs> I'd lay down in the kitchen, and my my grandmother watched the, her stories, you know. So uh, yes, days of her life, yeah. The young and the restless, young and the yep. restless, and and uh, Barb Barker in the morning with uh, with uh, the prices right, prices right, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love that show. I know, I know. I miss. My I love him on that show. It just yeah. seems so weird with him not there, and then yeah. Alex Beck not on Jeopardy. It just doesn't seem the same. I know we're losing, losing everybody. I think Bob Barker is he still alive? You, ah, that's that's a rant. We won't get off on that. We'll look, <laughs> we'll check that up later. Somebody uh, let us know. Yeah. Uh, so he was in the Book of Acts, Quincy, Barnaby Jones, the FBI, the Sting, Kojak, My Three Sons, The Virginian, Lassie, Bonanza, and like a hundred other movies. This dude was in everything that you've heard of between 1946 and 1979. He was That's in all amazing. kinds of movies. Yeah. So uh, he never was like a big star, but he was, he worked. Um, he worked hard. Uh, There's two musicians from Robinson, uh, Skip Martin and Frankie Masters. Uh, they both, uh, Frankie Masters was born in Virginia, but he gra- graduated from Robinson High School. Uh, they were big band uh, leaders and musicians. Uh, Myers Leonard, have you heard of him? He's recent. Ryan, your husband, he's heard of, he's heard of him. Uh, Myers Leonard, sure? yeah, he was uh, the eleventh pick in the 2012 NBA draft and went to the Trailblazers. So okay. he was eleventh overall pick. So he's good. Um, in 2019, he went to the Miami Heat, and then in March of this year, he got suspended by the Heat, and. Uh, the NBA started investigating for an anti-Semitic slur during the live stream Twitch session. Yeah. And I heard some about this on the news, but I wasn't paying attention. And I, I, you know, we've talked about the NBA before and we've gotten some things wrong. So I'm not a huge NBA <laughs> fan, especially not today's era. Uh, you know, back in the day, eighties and nineties, I was uh, a little bit more into it. But so anyway, I remember hearing a little bit about this, but he was playing call, call of duty Warzone, And, um, and he was on Twitch recording it and stuff, and there was, I guess, 
somebody overheard him using an anti-Semitic slur and like released it uh, to oh, the masses. Okay. And he's, he pretty much got canceled. He got suspended for a week by the NBA and fined $50,000. And then um, this, this happened on March 9th when he got suspended. March 17th, he got traded to Oklahoma City to the Thunder. And then uh, the Thunder said that he wouldn't be joining the team or participating in any baseball or, excuse me, basketball activities. Uh, they just signed him as a salary filler, and then they released him on March 25th. So between oh, yeah. the 9th and the 25th, his career ended uh, because he was playing Call of Duty Warzone and said some bad things. So, uh, so he is no longer playing. He's a free agent now. I don't know if he'll get picked up or not. Uh, but anyway, he he did apologize for using the slur. He said he didn't know what it meant. Uh, there's no no excuse for it. Uh, but whether you know what it means or you don't, uh, you don't need to say stuff like that. So anyway, I don't know what's going to happen to him, but uh, I'm sure he's sorry about it. Um, but we'll see where his story goes from here. Uh, yeah. So uh, talk about some other industries in town. There is a huge oil refinery that you can see there, and there's also a uh, correctional facility. It's outside of town, but the, if you zoom in on Google, you're going to see the oil refinery that's going to stick out uh, big time. And then on the other side of town, west side of town is where Hershey's at. So it's a, it's a nice town. Um, I'll let you get into your thing. And then at the end, I'll tell you some, some places you need to go visit when you go to Robinson. So take it away, Shannon. All right. So, Jason, I don't know if you got to read any of that article that I sent you last week. Did you? It's uh, okay if you did. I don't think so. I don't think I read it. Sorry. <laughs> okay. That's okay. Well, this story will be uh, interesting to you then. Okay. So, this was a crime of passion in the heart of Robinson, Illinois. This happened during the 1990s. So not too, not too long ago. So I'm going to go ahead and apologize ahead of time for this name, the last name. I do not mean to pronounce this wrong, but I'm sure I will. In the early 1990s, Linda Sinkshin Shook, age 24, was a medical student at Northwestern University. Linda was dating a man named Donald Weber, who was also from Robinson, Illinois. The couple began their relationship in 1984. They attended the University of Illinois and seemed to be happy, but the relationship started showing signs of weakness and issues when Weber moved out to New York to begin law school. Weber was noted as saying that the couple frequently spoke of their plan for the future with each other. He accepted a job in New York practicing law, and he desperately wanted Linda to move to New York with him to start their lives together. Linda did not like the fast life of New York at all, did not want to move there. During the summer of 1987, Linda and her mother went to Thailand to visit family. For Weber, this meant that their relationship was getting serious with a high probability of marriage. So I guess that was a custom in their uh, culture that if you, you would take your family over to Thailand and you would... I guess I guess they would ask and tell them who they were marrying because for him this was a big deal. Yeah. So during the fall 
During the fall of 1987, Linda started her medical school endeavor and Weber graduated and began working as a tax consultant in Manhattan. He was wearing himself out trying to advance his degree while working full-time to support himself and what he thought was him and Linda's future. While Weber is busy in New York, Linda has met another man at school. He became immediately super jealous, but Linda reassured him that it was nothing to worry about. In later conversations, Weber believed it was absolutely something to worry about. In fact, Weber had some harsh feelings about the other man. He said that he just wanted to be his girlfriend and never intended on pursuing anything else further with her, like marriage or anything like that. Fast forward Hmm. to the spring of 1987, Linda broke the news to Weber that she, in fact, was in love with this other man, but she also loved him, too. So this was devastating to Weber Uh and has already he's already shown to be jealous and you know, insecure. Um, But this also, I believe, gave him a little bit of hope that they would end up together since she said she loved him and the other man as well. And around this time, Weather was also laid off from his job. So he had a lot of stresses going on for himself. Yeah, not a good, not a good time in his life for sure. No, not a good time at all. In February, 1989, Weber moved back to Robinson from New York and began studying for the bar exam. Him and Linda were broken up at this time, and he was fixated on getting Linda to tell the truth about their relationship. And what I found about that was he was just wanting her to tell the truth. Like, he wanted her to say, like, no, I don't love you. I cheated on you with this guy. Like, he just became obsessed with it. He His love... Linda turn into quite an obsession and he just could not give that battle up like it just he just couldn't do it he went on a six-week vacation to Thailand but before he left he decided to mail nude photos of Linda to her friends in an attempt to extort money from her she did not comply with any of these orders though um, but that was just the first of weird encounters that would happen Um, When Weber returned from Thailand, though, six weeks later, he learned that Linda and her mother were taking her new boyfriend to Thailand to meet the family. So to him, Uh that meant marriage. That's what he didn't get. So I can imagine for him, he was devastated. And as obsessive as he was, this is just like the catalyst, the straw that broke the camera's back. Um. And for him, it was, it was the absolute final straw. He snapped, he made, he created and built a silencer for 22 caliber handgun and drove down to Chicago from Robinson to see Linda at her dorm, at her dorm room. Weber said, even though she was in love with this other man, she seemed so happy to have seen him there. He told her that he was sorry, but he couldn't live with what she had done to him. And that's when he shot her six times killing her in her dorm room he then put linda's body into a laundry basket and left the dorm but before he put her in a basket he kind of stayed he stayed in the dorm room with her body laying there for a few hours trying to see if anybody would come up and see what was the racket what was the noise 
and he had he said he had planned if someone had came up there that he was just going to shoot himself and ended there but no one came in there so then he decided to put her body in a laundry hamper and uh leave the dorm so he buried her body then in a garbage dump in robinson so he drove from chicago back down to robinson and found a garbage dump and put her body in there in fear though that the body would be found he dug her dead corpse up and drove to arizona where he dumped her body in an isolated area area near Coconcino National Forest in Arizona. My goodness. Yes. So he was paranoid and doing some weird stuff. And on Christmas Day, Weber tried contacting Linda's family in order to extort money from them. He said for $50,000, he would reveal Linda's body. Weber then left the country. And How's that going to work? Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> This guy's not, he, That's not, he just I'm, had an obsession that he just couldn't. I'm going to try to get money. I'll tell them where they're like, they're not going to call the cops. Yes. I mean, um, and at first police before he did that police just suspected that was just despondent over the breakup that they had the, of their six year relationship. And so that she, they thought she ran away or she committed suicide. They weren't really sure. Um, so months, months later, he contacted them to get money from them. I mean, like nine or 10. Um, of course, the family ordered a private detective. That detective found him in Thailand and had him extradited back to the U.S. And where he was, he admitted to everything. He showed them where the body was. Um, he drew a picture on the plane ride and it was snow. It had snowed. It was in the winter time at this time. And he drew a picture of where it was on like close to, I don't know. Anyway, he drew a picture. They couldn't find it. He had to go there. The detectives let him watch them exhume her body, um, which he later said was good for him. I don't know why, but anyway, <laughs> so he did admit to everything. He showed him where the body was at and he uh, is spending 75 years to life in prison for her murder, wow. um, but it was just an obsessive. I mean, it's like a movie. I mean, he just became so obsessed with wanting her and only her and like he yeah. couldn't see past, you know, maybe he just couldn't see it see past the jealousy see past anything yeah he trying thought to do anything really, to get her back yeah God, there's he thought there was any inkling of hope and he couldn't do it sounds like yeah there's a so anyway there's a story like that in knoxville uh there's a guy a high school kid that uh that shot into his ex-girlfriend's house he was going to like try to save her and be like the hero or something. I don't know how. I mean, of course, it doesn't make any sense. You remember that? And he yeah, ended I do up, remember that. Ended up hitting her and uh, killing yeah. her. And, uh, anyway, he said he was trying to trying to win her back, and people go get a little crazy. And, yeah. Anyway, it's just. I mean, it's just sad. He just was had such a bright future, and so did she. Yeah. And he just let that 
you know, I think too also not to make excuses, but he probably had a lot going on in his own life and stress can make you yeah. kind of yeah. not that that's an excuse at all. He did not yeah. need to do that. He wasn't dealing with anything very well at the time. Uh, a lot of things going wrong. No. So, uh, so yeah, if you, uh, you know, if you're going through a lot, don't, don't add anything to it. Just go, go find something that can release some of that stress and, and, uh, leave other people out of it yes, that. um but thank you to the chicago tribune for posting many articles about it and this was a highly publicized case in the 90s um and i would i wouldn't be shocked if there was a hack, but i bet there is a documentary or something yeah, about this i'd say so yeah going into going into chicago and then he took her body all the way to arizona this dude, uh, and then the whole well, extortion he took her thing. Chicago to Robinson. Yeah, took her to Chicago to Robinson, and then months later, getting her body back out and taking wow. it to Arizona, and then him fleeing the country trying to extort money. Wow, yeah, that's like, definitely definitely sounds like a movie. All right, so that's Robinson. Like we say most weeks, I try to say it every week. Uh, this crime does not define the town. Robinson's a nice town. Uh, that's where the Heath Bar, like I said, comes from. Uh, if you do end up going through Robinson uh, because of this this podcast, just uh, yeah, you can stop by the Heath Museum and Confectionery there in town, right on Main Street, and you can go across the street and eat at JB Steakhouse. Looks like uh, too. So uh, there's a lot, not a lot to do there um, as far as you know for kids or whatever. There's parks and things like that for people who live there. Uh, but as far as attractions, there's not a lot there. It's just a small town in Illinois. Um, and, you know, you can go there. That would be neat. The Heath Museum and Confectionery, that would be cool. Uh, there is some history there uh, close by. Uh, there's sports and things like that. This, you know, people came through here heading out west. So there's definitely some places to, to go uh, close to there. Uh, I was looking real quick, and I can't remember which town it was, but there's some town close by that's got the, the big coin. It's like, you know, they had the big rocking chair, or the big chair a couple of weeks ago. Uh, oh, okay. This town had a big, big coin. I can't remember which one it was, but uh, anyway, there's stuff like that to see close by. But it does look like a nice town. Uh, very, very small. The uh, oil refinery there, it really is just, it's it's almost the, it's at least as big as half the town. Uh, so it's a, it's a big, a big place, uh, a big industry. Uh, so we thank you, Robinson. If anybody's from there listening, uh, reach out to us. Let us know what we missed. We'll include it on another episode. And um, if you if you've been there, uh, let us know that too. Just let us know whatever we can. If you if you're getting here and you were uh, you've heard anything uh, on a previous episode that that you know a little bit better about, uh, that doesn't make any sense. What I just said. So if you're from uh, <laughs> if you've been listening to the podcast and you're like, uh, yeah, I'm from one of these towns and you haven't reached out to us yet, please do. Uh, please let us know, uh, you know, and we'll, we'll, we'll update it on a future episode and tell, us, tell everybody what, what you said, uh, any information, you know, if it's, if it's podcast worthy, we'll do that. Um, so, again, thank you all for listening. I know it's, uh, it's been a little crazy. Uh, the uh, audio might not be too great in this one. The editing might not be the best, but uh, we did what we could do for you guys, and we appreciate you. Thanks for listening. Hopefully next week we'll get back in uh, back in the swing of things and normal, right? Yeah, 
Yes. Yeah. So yes, agreed. It in- felt weird. This doesn't feel correct. No, it doesn't. <laughs> okay. I guess it's time to throw the dart. And since you're not here, I can't remember if well, it's your turn or my turn. Okay. It's- well, good. All right. I'll be right back. Okay. I'm watching, so I'm going to do a play-by-play. He can't hear me, I don't think. <laughs> All right, I went for Idaho, and I hit Idaho. So. Idaho. Jason said he went for Idaho, and he got to Idaho. I think you have to call it before you shoot it. <laughs> All right. Are you talking? I thought I heard you. Were you talking? Yeah, I was doing the play-by-play. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I hit Idaho, like I said. I was trying. I was aiming for Idaho, and I hit Idaho. So we've got Ketchum, Idaho. And Sun Valley is a town. They're, like, r- right next to each other. So we'll have to – I don't think we're going to have one without talking about the other one. They're so close. Okay. So that's where we're going next week. Um, thank you all for listening. Uh, yes, thank you. Uh, thank you all for sharing us with your friends. Uh, you can you can tell them to go to or send them a link or whatever you want to do to our website, yourtowncrimepodcast.com. You can link to all of our socials there. Um, you can email us at yourtowncrimepod at gmail.com. And, uh, you know, if you know, if you're from one of these towns, you've got more information. If we miss something, update us there. Instagram, yourtowncrimepod, Twitter at crime underscore town. And at Facebook, Your Town Crime Podcast. So thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week. uh, As normal, we hope. So uh, thank you all. See you then. Yes. Bye. All right. See you, Jason. Bye. All right. See you, Shannon.